Hello, this is Sam and Jordan with the Cinema Scoop podcast, and we're going to be going over our top five each um, Martin Scorsese films. Yes, yeah, so we're going to go, we're going to count down from five to one, and we're going to alternate between our lists, and then after we're done, we're going to go through our honorable mentions, um, and then we also wanted to talk about Killers of the Flower Moon, which just came out recently and is now on Apple TV. And we started it. We started it. <laughs> it's We're about, we're past halfway. We just, it was late when we started it, so we were to finish it soon. Yeah, we're, we'll call it that we're at like an intermission point, and it felt timely enough to be doing a Martin Scorsese top five kind of at this point. Um I guess we can't really talk about the movie yet just because we haven't fully seen it, but um, that's a long movie. (laughs) Yeah, I like it. I need to digest it more and obviously finish it, but I don't think it would be in the top five. Yeah, spoiler alert, it may not be in our top five, but I don't know if that's a fair assessment considering we haven't seen the whole thing. Okay, so my number five favorite Martin Scorsese film of all time is Goodfellas. Mm. This is from 1990. Um, it's surrounds the true story of Henry Hill, who's played by Ray Liotta, who just passed away recently. Rest in peace, Ray Liotta. Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, supporting characters. I've seen this a few times. I really like it. Uh, I love the overall story of the mafia and how Ray Liotta's character goes through the ranks of becoming one of the main figures. Joe Pesci, I believe, won the Oscar for this performance, and he was he's just really good. Robert De Niro is always good. Um, I think some people might think this is his best or second best. I think it's just a notch below, like, other crime films like The Godfather and stuff like that. But I think it's unique enough and there's lots of moments that I find rewatchable. Yeah, I just added it because I actually realized I don't have it rated at all I think I've just seen it once a long time ago um so I just added it back to my list that's like movies I need to rewatch. it's one of those that like on Letterboxd if I like don't have a rating for it that just means like I either wasn't paying attention or I like need to re-see it so yeah I think it's definitely one that I ought to re-see it's another Robert De Niro, Martin Scorsese cinematic universe film. That's like a big, they're like a huge partnership through a lot of, a lot of our favorites, I think. Um, so my number five is different. My number five is Silence. And this came out in 2016. We saw this in theaters. This one is very difficult to watch. Um, I remember being very sleepy because it was really, it's, I mean, no no surprise, but, like, this one's really long. But I remember thinking, this is really, really good. Um, yeah, it's kind of like a, I don't know what you would call it, like a 
I mean, I feel like all Martin Scorsese movies are kind of like thrillers in a way, but this one's like a religious thriller. Truthfully, I think I was into the idea of this movie in 2016, not because I was a Martin Scorsese fan of any kind. Like, I don't think I, I think at that point I really wasn't into film or into watching movies, you know, for a specific director. I think I did it as an Adam Driver, Andrew Garfield thirst watch and was like, wow, this is a really good thirst watch. Um, I mean, they're not necessarily like adorable in this. Uh, They just are both really, really good. Adam Driver's super skinny in this movie. Yeah, this is his pianist. If it was, or no, not that, not the pianist, the, what's the one where? Christian Bale. Christian Bale. The machinist. Which I haven't seen. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy, but. This one I feel like I would want to rewatch if I was going to do like a Scorsese week or something and like rewatch all of them. I don't know if like again it was kind of it was kind of hard to watch just because there's a lot of kind of overt gore. Um but I think that's kind of the point of the movie and frankly that's kind of the point of a lot of Scorsese movies when there's gore involved it's shocking. Um So yeah, what's your number 4? Well, that's my number four. Oh. Silence. Yeah, the only thing I'll add is, um, yeah, it's like one of those movies that's long, but once you get into it, it's kind of like you can escape into it. And if you really like want to mentally go through the spiritual questions the movie brings up, it's, it's very interesting. Um, they do, like, the, all the Japanese stuff, like, being, like, the, the locations they shot at, and the cinematography of the ocean and the water is very good. I really liked how it ended, and this was, like, one of the, one of the first Martin Scorsese movies not the first one I saw, but one of, like, the newer ones after I kind of got more into movies. Mm. That's so how I feel about it, it I kind of, it kind of caught me at a right, uh, a good time yeah. when I first saw it. And then when I rewatched it, it was still very good. So I think it's definitely worth revisiting. I didn't know you rewatched it. Um, so what's your number four? My number four, I think it'll be shocking that it's this low, but... I truly, this is the highest it can get comparative to my number one through three. It's Wolf of Wall Street. It is so incredibly rewatchable. It's one of the like fastest paced Scorsese movies, in my opinion, that I've seen. Where, you know, it's kind of no surprise that like a lot of Scorsese movies are just like very long. Um... They're usually long with a purpose, but I feel like this one is long and quick in, like, a very strange way. It kind of feels like you're on, like, cocaine or something the whole time, which I guess is the point of, you know, this guy's life and this guy's story is to feel like live fast, die young, you know, party it up, spend a bunch of money. Like, I think that's kind of the point. This is also just, like, a very prolific film for Leo, and is probably Leo at his best. Um, 
also margot robbie is like such a babe in this movie it's like undeniable that this is like and i'm not fact checking this but i think this was probably one of her first like burst onto the scene type of movies before she got like massively popular like she is now Yeah, this was like her breakout yeah and well deserved like she's very very good in this movie and like i think my favorite scene in this entire movie is and i need to rewatch this but it's specifically this part where leo is like on a bunch of drugs and he is trying to get to a payphone and his legs don't work if you've seen it you know exactly which scene i'm talking about but it's just like the craziest bit of like body acting I've seen in a movie, like just so good. But yeah, I rewatched this a couple years back and was like, oh yeah, this is like really, really good. So yeah, that's my number four. Yeah, we might be talking about that soon again because that's higher on my list. But my number three is After Hours. Oh, it is also my number three. Yeah, we're. We have very similar, I think we might have one that's different, but yeah, After Hours is kind of a smaller Scorsese film. It's only 97 minutes. Um, it's in 1985, so it's kind of like right in the middle of all his starting out to be a known director. I just think it's infinitely rewatchable. Mm-hmm. It's one of those, like one of those movies that is basically what you see on screen from a chronological time is almost like how much time is passing in the actual plot it's like one night basically it's another one night movie which i love that and that's not common for scorsese like it kind of is anti like it's a shorter film it's told in one night and it's not like a crime thriller necessarily like this is very atypical yeah the main character kind of just like vibes out and wanders around and goes from place to place and ultimately he's trying to get a girl but like he goes through a lot of hoops just to get back to where he was the day before which that's why it's such a great one-off film because you can rewatch it so many times the way it ends is just so perfect and funny and Mm -hmm. i i actually really like that it's kind of like i like the shtick in movies where it's just a person trying to do something and they keep failing miserably by like different strokes of bad luck or like like when you see that these are two very different movies but like you see that sort of a little bit in eyes wide shut where he's like trying to obtain a costume and then you see it a lot in very different movie jingle all the way where he's trying to get like a fucking doll it's this is that type of shtick where you're just like watching a guy try to accomplish something and he keeps failing and it's like he's just trying to do one thing um but like just different bad things keep happening i don't know why that is so entertaining to me but i don't know what the like that type of movie could be labeled as but um yeah i find that like really funny for like comedic value yeah he's like a almost he's like an everyday man where like you can relate to him very easily because he's not 
rich or poor he's just like in the moment and he's got a job that he's trying to escape and he's trying to get a girl and he's trying to figure out what he's doing which is like 99% of everybody out there trying to figure out things and when you I like it because like when you keep it in one time and place it's it's easy to explore how the characters are motivated and what they're trying to do and I really like the main character yeah I agree do you uh, we both have the shared number three so do you want to say your number two yeah my number two is Wolf of Wall Street what it's this came out right before we got married like a few weeks before oh really 2013 and we got married early 2014 so I I think I watched this soon before or after we got married but I the first time and I mean everything you said before I think just the excess of it the just the like the capitalism to the extreme peak 1980s it's like the I, I haven't I haven't seen the original Wall Street movie mm. but I I would assume this is pretty much the peak of men in suits talking about money and figuring out yeah, how to get sex and drugs and how to break the law. Just like without hedonism. Getting, yeah, like, which is the point. Like, I think at the time this had the most F-bombs in the whole, in, in a movie, it's like three hours long, so they say it like every five seconds, I feel like. I feel so like. That's the point. Yeah, like. It almost could be marketed as that, like, oh, this movie has, like, the most F-bombs in cinema history. I think at one time it did. I don't I think it's been usurped at this point. But the the funny thing is that it's really doesn't bother you. Like, it's one of the rare movies where it's not – it's done excessively, but everything else in this movie is done excessively. And so it feels right. It doesn't feel forced. It does. It feels like it's used as an everyday adjective for things by most of the characters. Like it doesn't feel like my dad likes this movie. And it's like most dads probably would be like, that's a lot of F-bombs. But like I think it says something that it's like it works for the the subject matter of the story, you know. Jonah Hill's really funny. Yeah. I... I I think there's a story where he like went up to Martin Scorsese and was like, I don't, all I get paid nothing. Like, just put me in this movie. I can do it. <laughs> and he got Oscar nominated. It's crazy. And yeah, Leo was nominated, and, but he didn't win, but he should have won in the, from this one. He won for The Revenant later? In... Yeah. Yeah. Well, my number two, and I think Sam's going to talk about this at some point pretty soon, but. Uh, my number two is one that Sam showed me this last year, and it is um, The Last Temptation of Christ. We've already, we've talked about this before, maybe not on the podcast, but I'm a huge Willem Dafoe fan, similar to um, how I like Harry Dean Stanton. If you have something with Willem Dafoe in it, I'm going to see it just for his, like, weird-ass face. Um, this one, though, like, you, like... I don't know how to describe it while I'm watching this movie. He disappears. And, like, I don't really see Willem Dafoe anymore. Like, he he really does look like Jesus in this movie. And this is also, like, a movie that 
I think a lot of like traditional Christians don't like because it sort of what's the right word it like um could be perceived as being like sacrilegious against the real true story of Jesus when like I think the point of the story is that this is not an adaptation of the Bible. This is a very fictionalized account of most of what happens in the time of Jesus with like a couple of practical considerations for questions that don't get answered in the Bible. Like what if Jesus was tempted or what if Jesus wanted to live a different life or what if Jesus didn't want to go through with this? Like, we know it's written about that he didn't want to go through with it. Like, what was that like? Um, and, like, the other piece of it, too, that I think is what really drove it home for me was, like, how would or how did Jesus deal with people portraying his teachings incorrectly? And he's no longer around to be able to correct those teachings and those misteachings. And... I think that's, like, what really made it, like, such a solid film for me. Um, yeah, I think that's, like, it in a nutshell for me. Yeah, this is my number one. So I'll just go ahead and talk about it, and we can get to your number one. But, yeah, I, the first this the first time I watched this was last year. So, like, this was a fairly new watch, and... I didn't know too much about the, like, backstory of how it was made, and I just knew most mainstream Christians either don't like it or don't want to have anything to do with it for whatever reason. But it's, like you said, it's not based off the Bible. It's based off a fictionalized novel. Um, And it's basically, like, the best way I can describe it especially if you're a Christian, is to, like, understand that in order for Jesus to actually be a real, like, thing, he had to be a human. And I think so many people don't really understand that. They're just like, well, there's God, and I guess he had a son, Jesus, so Jesus, I guess, is God. And, like, you can follow what the Bible says, obviously, but what this story is trying to portray and convey to the audience and to every human who's ever existed was if you are a human and you're trying to tell every other human that you're actually from like you're you're a deity you got like the prophet prophecy power and you like have the connect direct connection of god and you're basically or you are god in flesh or in human form like, how do you communicate that to people without them thinking you're insane? And, like, yeah. which is part of this movie is, like, he's a 30-something-year-old man walking around in a desert, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I have to go tell everyone I'm God. Yeah. Like, it's it's not like, it's like it's oozing out of him. Like, he has to, like, yell and, like, preach and do these things because he's so, like, compelled. And... Yeah, like, I just think the way Scorsese tells the story and the imagery of how everything comes about, it's just really eye-opening, especially as a Christian. And, like, I grew up 
a Christian my whole life, and so to watch this at 30-something years old for the first time, it's like, wow, so this, it's like, it gives you a new perspective, and like, yeah, there's really nothing at all negative you can really associate it with if you're like trying to nitpick the religious aspects of it because like it's again it's not trying to tell retell the bible like the re the bible's like trying to be his, an historic eyewitness testimony of like what the four apostle or the four disciples saw matthew mark luke and john and like this was jesus this is what happened this is all the miracles he did blah 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 and like Jesus didn't actually write the Bible, right? So mm-hmm. like to understand that a human declared himself to be God and did all these things in a very it's a very short time too. Like we're talking like a few years, I guess, where he's like, I'm God, let me tell you about all this stuff, and then I die, basically. And I just think it's so fascinating to continue to I've already seen it two or three times this past year. So, like, I've already that rewatched something. it. something. Yeah. Yeah, Willem Dafoe is fantastic. And I like the element you mentioned of, like, towards kind of the end part where, like, at what point does the human version of Jesus die and what's left is the God element of him and then all the words he said and how people interpret those words and what happened. And I just think it's very, like, it's, like, I could keep going, but it's... It's really, really good. I really want to re-see it because I think I've only seen it the one time with you, but, like, bear in mind, I think you had seen it the week before I was on a work trip, and you were like, I will rewatch this at any given moment, you just say the word, and I was like, okay, it's clear that this is going to be a really good movie. I think the other piece of this, too, for anybody listening that's, like, maybe not religious, is that, like, I think this is a great movie to discuss spirituality and to discuss belief, very much not specific to Christianity. Like, of course, that's the backdrop. But I think that, like, this is, like, maybe not a great thing for maybe Christian listeners to hear or whatever. But, like, atheists and agnostic people love this movie. Um, yeah, if that tells you way, anything. If, you're, yeah, if you don't believe, it's way easier to just watch this as a movie and be like, oh, this is a great movie and an inter- interesting take or whatever. But if you're, like, depending on what you were brought up in and actually believe you're gonna have to like set all that aside and just watch it for what it is and understand it's a fictional story and it's a movie and anything that you like actually believe within yourself like that's great yeah well that's not what this is about it's what is on the screen and well i think it's worth interpreting it differently than what you might think about Yeah, well, I think less than that even. It's just, like, this is a great parable for explaining some of the fallacy that lies in religion, regardless of what religion you are. Like, this is a that's what I mean by anybody could enjoy this, is because it's, it's like, a masterpiece depiction of, like, exactly what the trouble is with deciding what it is you believe and sticking to that and the doubt that comes with that and like 
I think, like, just the fact that Willem Dafoe as Jesus in this movie is, like, blessed with, you know, divine spirituality of, like, you are the son of God. There is so much doubt that he, like, masterfully shows. And, yeah, I think it's, like, incredible because I feel like that, that like, doubt that he shows in the movie is, like, a feeling of doubt that everybody has felt at any point in their life. And I think a lot of Christians, like, have trouble grasping that but it's like that's the point is if jesus was human he had to have had all these human emotions that we all feel yeah and it makes him more of a understandable character so that if you do actually believe in the religious part of it then i feel like it strengthened my faith just by watching this movie and thinking more about how did jesus actually feel like as a human and i think it's just a universal story of like humanity in general like exactly even if you don't even care about the christian religion or any religion and you just want to watch this as a movie and character study on humans it's like and even just the concept of god like to think if there was a god and he wanted all of humans to understand there's a god how would that communication process happen like like it's one thing to be like oh there's a sun and all the stars and all the nature that's created. So that's like great example of God showing that he exists, but like to use a human to say to other humans, this is what God is, take it or leave it. And then how do other humans grapple with that and believe it or not believe it? It's fascinating. Yeah. Clearly we like this movie because we've, talked about it for so long i do have like two more things to say about it they're just more funny things harvey Keitel's accent in this movie is absolutely ridiculous like his hair is so he's got like red curly hair it yeah makes no sense for he, everybody else in he, the movie he talks like he's in a scorsese gangster movie in this movie and i love it and then the second thing is that I don't think this is a spoiler because everybody knows the story of Jesus, I think, at this point. I think we're past the spoiler zone on Harry Potter and the story of Jesus at this point. Like, if you just don't know, then I don't know how you don't know. But Jesus dies, if you didn't know. And there's a specific line that Willem Dafoe says where he says, it is accomplished. And that is the most quotable thing, like, for weeks after we saw this. Every time Sam and I would do something that required the slightest like amount of effort we would be like it is accomplished yeah because he says it right before he dies so it's like an like an exhaustion breath and how he how he says it so it's really funny yeah sense so that was your number one so what's your number i already know what your number one is but and you've still got to do your number two no, I'm done. I'm oh, you, we've mind. already done all yours. Okay. Your number one's an honorable mention for me. Oh, just, my gosh. It's just outside number five. Okay, this one just... Uh, I, my number one is Taxi Driver. I love this movie so much. And I saw both of these at, like... Well, I saw Last Temptation of Christ and Taxi Driver around the same time. And I kept drawing parallels between them. That I don't think maybe a lot of people do. Um, Not saying Travis Bickle by any means is like, you know, the son of God. And I'm not saying the son of God is um, a raging incel. But like, I think it if you were to not have to think about it in terms of like 
that seems impossible. How could you compare the two if you, like, just look at it at a very, like, um, I guess, like, persona aspect? Like, they're both very similar in vibe of feeling like, I'm called to do something, but nobody believes me. And I don't know how to execute this plan. And one plan could be seen as good in Last Temptation of Christ, you know, dying for other people's sins. In this one, it's sort of like a delusion state of like feeling as though they're meant to do something bigger with themselves, but not really being sure how to do it and then going about it in all of the wrong ways, like a la like psychotic shooting. Um, But like I... I don't know how to explain why I love this movie so much because it is, like, the most bad vibes ever. Like, it has, like, the saddest, most baddest vibes and, like, the most unlikable, irredeemable main character. But there's just, like, something really beautiful about the way that it's shot. And I I also think, like, not all great movies have likable I want to root for you protagonists. And I think this is a great example where you don't want to root for the main character. You don't really want to be the main character. It's sort of like, it's more of like a warning. Like it's more of like, this is all of the worst possible case scenarios piled up into one person. You know, PTSD, isolation, uh, no companionship, um, definitely has like an alcohol problem. Like it's all the like, a perfect storm of like the worst possible things that can happen to a person. And I think at the time it was probably so highly regarded because of they were able to loop in the aspect of like, well, he's a veteran. And so this is what happens to veterans that aren't cared for. And I think that's a really great way for people to maybe understand this movie is that like, no, the you know Travis Bickle is not like likable, but you should feel for him in a way that is like there are people out there that ha- that go through this not because of being bad people necessarily. Um but I also think like there's just like a lot of iconic parts in this movie that just make it for me like the best Scorsese movie because I don't know for a fact, but I feel like this is what like, if you were to ask most people, like, name a Scorsese movie, they'll probably say this or Wolf of Wall Street. As far as, like, the most prolific Scorsese movie. And this is, like, one of his earliest ones. Mm-hmm. So, um, definitely, like, pretty critically acclaimed, too. Yeah, I really like it. It's just, there. there's elements of it that are not really fun to revisit and fun it's to hard. rewatch. So that's why it's not quiet in my top five, but yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. There's like tough bits that are like not enjoyable to revisit, but I also feel that way about silence and a lot of other movies, you know, but um, yeah. So a few honorable mentions because um, that was one of my honorable mentions. I also have The Departed, which I really like. I've only seen it one time, though, so I need to rewatch it. But I, that's the only one that won him Best Picture. And a lot of people think that it's not necessarily his best movie, but it just came out at a time where there weren't that many other movies that came out. So he just, it was his time to win. 
Um, Casino's really good. And then another one I had was Gangs of New York, which has its problems, but um, Daniel Day-Lewis's performance is so insane. And there's <laughs> shots and elements of that film that are so unique and funny to me that I have to give it a mention. Yeah, I I only have one honorable mention. I think I've seen less Scorsese movies than you. Um, but my one honorable mention gets a lot of hate is Shutter Island. Um, I think this one has a lot of like predictable, uh, maybe even melodramatic overdone aspects to it that you can easily like poke holes in. Um, it's another one of those like unreliable main character type of movies um leo again i saw this in theaters when i was in high school because i think it was a leo thirst watch with like one of my high school girlfriends and like it really didn't disappoint like i forget mark ruffalo is in this um yeah it's like a great like psychological thriller in my opinion and i think like rewatching it if you forget the twist it holds up pretty well um there's definitely some really like gut-wrenching moments in this, I think, but it kind of plays out like a pulpy detective novel, like psychological novel. There's a little bit of it that feels a little bit M. Night Shyamalan almost, not as much Scorsese. Um, but yeah, that's my only it's my only honorable mention. Yeah, and then just a few that I haven't seen. I haven't seen Raging Bull yet, which I know is one of his more popular ones. Just haven't gotten around to it. And then I haven't seen King of Comedy. That's probably the one I want to see the most. I thought The Irishman was kind of... Or it was really boring. (laughs) I just... I couldn't get into that one. I think the only other one I really want to see still is The Age of Innocence. Be the other one. Uh, of his that I, I would say another one that I know I want to see at some point, bringing out the dead, just Nick Cage. Yeah, I need to see that one as well. I think those are the main ones that we haven't seen. But we'd still like to see. All right. That's Thanks for listening. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>